Well, it is 2019. Are you fired up? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Terry. We got one fired up person. How many of you are uh, goal setters? You've, you've set some goals for 2019. Awesome. How many of you have given up on New Year's resolutions long ago? Yeah? Hey, I get it. You know, sometimes we, you know, you said, I'm not having any carbs in 2019, and you blew that yesterday. I'm sorry. Some of you said, I'm going to work out every day. You joined LA Fitness right here in Agura, and you blew that like four days ago. So, hey, some of us can relate to that whole goal setting thing. So check this out. Maybe New Year's resolutions. What exactly is a New Year's resolution? It's a to-do list for the first week of January, huh? But this is my favorite. Check this one out. My goal for 2019, to accomplish the goals of 2018, which I should have done in 2017, because I promised them in 2015 and planned them in 2014. What a country. Well, we want to start strong in the new year. And if we had a New Year's resolution in this year, we'd want to be strong in our spiritual lives. And we're going to study the life of Samson. What an interesting character for us to study for four weeks to kick off uh, January here, and I'm guessing that you know he's the most famous judge in all of Israel. Most of you cannot, you know, mention any other judge's names, but you know Samson because more chapters are devoted to Samson's life than any other judge. Now, a close second is the woman judge, right? And her name was Deborah. So all the women know about Deborah. Most of us men remember Samson, and the rest, uh, it's a fog, right? The other thing is the introduction to this biblical character is the longest of any introduction related to the judges, and that's why we're going to be studying him. Now, if you know anything about him, and you're going to get a little introduction today, we're going to find out today that he was born with a silver spoon, so to speak, in his mouth. What does that mean? It means he was born into a family that had some advantages going for him, and we'll find out about those primarily through his mom and his dad. And so this morning, I thought I'd entitle my message, Most Likely to Succeed, or Voted Most Likely to Succeed. Because as you look at the beginning of this guy's life, he is a rock star. He's an all-American. And in fact, I thought, what a coincidence. Because as I was thinking about uh, my life in the past, back in 1974 at Covina High School, they voted someone most likely to succeed. I went and checked it. Oh, and it still wasn't me. Oh, well, I know, I know. But we're going to look at a guy that we would have voted most likely to succeed. But if you look in your notes, the guy is pretty paradoxical. In fact, conflicted might be a better way to describe his life. Over the next four weeks, you're going to see that Samson his life is one big spiritual roller coaster. I mean, it is up and it is down. In fact, he's a study in contradictions. There are starts, there are stops. Is he following God or is he following his flesh? Is it spirituality or sensuality? Is he a hero or is he a heel? Is he a role model or is he a ruined man? And I think we're going to find out, is he an example that we're supposed to follow? Because growing up in Sunday schools all over the country, I'm sure many of us saw him as this role model, but maybe he's more of uh, a warning 
a cautionary tale of what to not do or to avoid. And so we're going to see that this life of Samson is one that is described by these four words, commitment, compromise, consequences, and confession. And I think lest we judge him too quickly, we may find a little bit of Samson in all of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, would you make it ring true in our lives today? May we be able to apply it. May the messenger not confuse the message in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's hop to it. Get your notes out and uh, let's take a look. We start off with the revelation. There's an angelic announcement in verses 1 to 7. We're in Judges chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, grab the one in the pew uh, chair in front of you. And here's what it says about Israel's condition. It lays the context for this morning. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Circle the word again. This isn't the first time they've been under the rule of the Philistines. If you remember in Judges 10, for 18 years, they were under their screw thumb. They're kind of pushed down. They broke free from them. But we see this pattern over and over again in the nation of Israel, and this time it's going to be a 40-year oppression under the Philistines. Now, how many of you have ever studied the book of Judges or have studied any other judge in Israel's history? Have you done that study? You're going to see this pattern over and over and over again. I want to give you the pattern so you'll recognize it, and we're going to see how this plays out in his life. So what happens is Israel has this reoccurring rebellion cycle. They have this reoccurring rebellion cycle. And the first, it starts with rejection. Rejection of God and rebellion against his plan. They're following God and they just go off the rails, all right? Then there's the removal of God's blessing. The removal of God's blessing. Thirdly, they're relegated to oppression by a foreign nation because of their disobedience. All right? So let's go back to those first two, and let me show you them again. Rejection of God and His plan. Some of us do that as well. And again, this is not just the cycle of what's going on with Israel. This is us, friends. There are times we just push back against God, even though we know better. And then the removal of God's blessing. Now, He doesn't remove His blessing. You don't lose your salvation. But I do think what happens spiritually for you is there's all kinds of difficulties because God's trying to get your attention like, ho, ho, come back. This is not going to end well for you. And we go through a difficult time. And then we're relegated to oppression. Now, we're not conquered by a foreign nation spiritually, but what happens, we go to a dark place and we wonder if God is who He says He is. We ask the questions that we never would have asked previously because we're kind of unsure now because it seems like God is so far away. Again, far away because of our own behavior, not because of His. Then we get to a desperate spot both personally and what happened in the nation of Israel. Now we come to that fourth one again. We repent of our sin and and we're rescued by God. Now, I'm talking about this in the life of a Christian. That I'm not saying that you go through these steps all the time, but there are times where we get so far from God and we just have to come back and say, I repent. Have you ever played that game, Uncle? I don't like it. It hurts my wrist, but I was younger. But we kind of cry out, Uncle, and repent, and God rescues us. And then there's a return to God by worshiping and following His commands. 
So that cycle, rejection, removal, relegation, repentance, rescuing, and returning, that cycle happens over and over and over in the history of the judges, and Samson lives that out. Now, why does God do this, and why is this instructive to us? See, the Philistines were used by God to bring his people back to himself. And you see that throughout the history of Israel, right? You know, it was Egypt brought Israel back to themselves. Uh, And you see these nations over and over and over again. But here's something. If you're reading this text and you're watching that cycle, some of you are thinking or saying, "Uh uh-uh, there's something that's missing here. What's missing? What's missing in these four chapters and what you'll see in these four years Never once does Israel cry out in repentance. They're not asking for God to rescue them. They've become complicit and complacent with the culture that they're in. Now, this gets a little interesting because for 40 years, they put up with the status quo of being indentured servants, so to speak, to the Philistines. Why is that applicable to us? Because we live in a culture that oftentimes is in direct opposition to what God says is true. And yet, if we're not careful, we can be co-opted. We can be complicit. We can be complacent in relationship to our culture. If you're studying any of the generations, we are now introduced a new generation. This last group is now our Generation Z. They are your babies. They're your young teenagers. We've, the millennials, old news. We're headed to Generation Z. And in fact, this year, in 2019, for the first time ever, those who self-identify as nuns, not N-U-N-S, not not Catholic nun, I'm talking about nuns, N-O-N-E-S, in other words, no religious affiliation, will surpass any other designation for religion and spirituality in our country. That's a scary proposition because the millennials and Generation Z clearly have a different agenda when it comes to where God fits in their life. So we got to ask ourselves, why did Israel put up with it for 40 years? I want to suggest three reasons. Number one, because of religious plurality. In other words, they could worship all kinds of gods under the Philistines. If you serve Jehovah, Yahweh God, there was one God. And they, in fact, did that. Do we know some of the gods Israelites worshiped over those years? They worshiped one, begins with a big B, Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal, and the Ashtoreth, and other gods, and it was, it was a far departure from the monotheistic god, Yahweh, that, that they were supposed to worship. Secondly, they stayed under that rule because they were protected by the Philistines from other foreign invaders. Now, you say, well, that's kind of crazy. The Philistines weren't nice to them, but the Philistines had something that no other nation in that time had. They had iron. And if you study geology, not geography, but geology, that history of having iron made them superior to nearly every other nation. And so it was kind of live with the devil you know, not the one you don't know. And in fact, in a few hundred years, that very thing would happen to them. The northern kingdom in 722 BC would be conquered by the Assyrians. You thought the Egyptians were bad? Nothing. You thought the Babylonians were bad? Oh, that's nothing. 
compared to the Assyrians, unbelievable harshness. And so they did, have, did eventually get conquered by that. And then the southern kingdom in 586 BC by the Babylonians. And so there's a long history of Israel rejecting God, coming back, rejecting God, that whole cycle. And then third reason I think they stayed with the Philistines is because there's this whole thing of sensuality. The Philistines were very sensual people, and, and I think the Israelites kind of bought into some of that. And so the question is, where are we personally in 2019 in relationship to our culture? Now, we don't want to be like Jonah and reject the culture. We may not want to be like Esther and completely embrace the culture. I think somewhere in the middle, like Joseph, we have to involve ourselves in culture. And maybe we have to just ask ourselves, have we been a bit complacent to the status quo of what's going on all around us. Something to think about today. Now, let's look at her childlessness, not childishness, childlessness, verses two and three. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Tell me something she doesn't already know. She knows she's barren. She's been shamed by that. It's such an embarrassment to her. In fact, in the scripture, do we even know what Samson's mom's name is? It's just Manoah's wife. He was a guy who lived in Zorah. Uh, and so we'll just call her Mrs. Manoah for that right now. But I'm telling you, it doesn't play well. Some of you ladies are going, hey, I got a name. Use my name. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, just a little sidebar. Men would never put up with that, right? Hey, you're Bonnie's husband. Hey, yeah. Hey, hey, you're, you're, you're so-and-so's husband. I, I'm, I'm going to try not to embarrass anybody else. I'm just using one today, all right? So, uh, so the, he lived in Zorah. Why is that important? Because he lives in the north, you know, from Dan to Bathsheba, north to south in Israel. In the north, he's about 15 miles from the Philistine border, and what does Samson have a way of doing? You'll know this in the next few weeks. He likes to go across the border. It's like living in Chula Vista, going to Tijuana. Now, anybody who grew up in, near the border, anybody? Anybody from Imperial Valley, Chula Vista, San Diego? I'll, I'll go as far north as San Diego. Encinitas? I have to go all the way to Orange County to find somebody. All right. But if you live near the border and you wanted to mess around as a kid, actually a young adult, you go down across the border and try not to get in too much trouble, and then you could get back across the border. I won't say that I personally ever did that uh, because I just wasn't that kind of guy, but I know some people, maybe some of you did that, and that's what Samson do. But he didn't just go across the border, but we're going to find out. He went across the border just to mess with the Philistines. He was like a big kid. We're going to find out, like, what are you doing? He's doing it again crosses the border, mess around with them, and gets himself in trouble. Now, what is the most salient point about her childlessness? And that is that she's been waiting a long time, and that infertility had caused her much distress, much aim. And I think there are many, many women in our congregation who maybe even feel this, this sting of infertility. It's not a stigma in our culture like it was back then, but many of you, or some of you, maybe have waited and wanted to have children and lost babies through, through miscarriages, and you feel that angst. And in the Scripture, 
And I just want to say this as an aside. Ladies, those of you who have lost babies that you desperately wanted and you've gone through infertility, it's hard. It's hard being a church that there were like 17 babies born in 2018. I had them, all of them stand up like last hour. They're all in their little nursing things last hour. It's hard. It's hard to be around that and be joyful for other people when your heart's breaking about what hasn't happened in your life. And in 2019, you need to know there's a God who knows and cares about you ladies, about those of you who have tried and cannot bear children. He's that God. And so this woman, an elderly couple, this theme happens throughout the Scripture where an elderly couple who have given up hope of ever having a child, an angel comes to them and says, hey, you're going to have a kid. They're going, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and some of you are going, yeah, I'm sure. And yet we see in the Scriptures over and over God's promise is faithful and true. So let's play a little... Uh, we're calling it the, not the newlywed game, the childlessness game. I'm going to give you a name of a couple. You tell me the kid that changes the course of history as a result of this couple in their old age having a child. Let's play the game. First one, Abram and Sarah. We know them as Abraham and Sarah. Give birth to, survey says, Isaac. Let's see if you're right. Yes, Isaac. Give yourself one point. Isaac. Now, does Abraham completely believe God that it's going to happen? Not exactly. And who really doesn't completely believe it's going to happen? Sarah. She, so much that she laughs about it and says, we've waited long enough. And so we're not exactly sure God's going to come through with this because, you know, I'm like 90 years old, near 100. And so he does a stupid thing and goes and fools around with her handmaiden, Hagar. And who's the offspring of that conception? Ishmael. That's a problem, folks. You want to know the problem in the Middle East? It started back then. Ishmael creates what tribe or nation? The Arab nation, right? And Isaac represents the Jewish nation. And those two groups have been feuding for a long, long time. All right, number two. How about this couple? Do you know these names? Amron and Jochebed. Now you're going, hmm. Look at the contest. Look at the verse. You'll figure it out. Who is it? Moses, very good, Moses, and he delivers the Israelites from Egyptian oppression. All right, some of your two for two. Thirdly, Hannah, all right, single mom, or, or well, we don't know exactly what, where dad is, he's not mentioned, but who, who is it? Samuel, that's right, comes one of Israel's most famous judges. Then we studied this last month, Zechariah and Elizabeth produces John the Baptist, JB for short. By the way, JB is a Nazarite. We're going to find out why that's important in just a moment because Samson was also a Nazarite, all right? So there you go. Now, let's look at their consecration. Notice I didn't say Samson's consecration or purity. How about their consecration? This is addressing both he and his mom. Verses 4 and 5, therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to the God from the womb. Note that. And he shall begin, note that, to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. I'm going to tell you, this same injunction is going to be given two more times. We're going to read it the first time. The next few times, I'm going to give you the topical version of it. All right? So mom, Mrs. Manoa, is getting a little prenatal advice. Ladies, what's the thing that's said that's pretty important that she not do? To not what? 
No Coronas for you, ladies. No, there is no Coronas, all right? And you can't eat unclean food. You're kidding me? No shrimp cocktail, no lobster, no. And importantly, no bacon, no bacon, all right? And so then, so what I want to describe there as you look at this is how to remember what a Nazarite vow involved. It's from Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 25. It means to separate or consecrate. And I'll give you these five Ds so you'll always remember what the components are. All right, first one is diet. We've already covered it. No, no booze, no alcohol, no shrimp, no unclean food. Secondly is dead. You can't touch dead stuff. Now, you say, most that's not a problem. I don't really want to touch dead bodies. I'm not a mortician, right? But Samson had a problem with it. In fact, in the next chapter, that's all he does is kill things and get his hands messy, and, and he didn't really follow that part, all right? Thirdly is duration. Now, a Nazarite vow was supposed to be short-term <clears throat> and voluntary. Was his short-term, according to the text? No, it says God called him from where? From the from the womb, right? And he didn't have a choice in the matter. God says, I'm picking you. I am choosing you. The next one, and this is the one that we all remember, the distinction was you couldn't do what? You couldn't cut your hair. Now, I think this is so interesting. And by the way, this is the only one of the five that he followed regularly. He has the vow. He just, he, I mean, think of Van Halen in the 80s, all right? Uh, Sammy Hagar, long hair. It, now, I realize some of you were not even a twinkle in your parents' eyes in the 70s yet, but for those of you who are in my era, think about what was the one thing, if you're in your 50s or 60s and you had longer hair, what was the one thing, especially my dad, would say to me, when are you going to get a haircut? I don't quite understand the obsession with why the length of my hair had any condition on my credibility as a, as a good son. Does anybody understand why did we have to cut our hair back then? Now, I have the yearbook if you want to see it in 74. It was a sight to behold. Actually, I played a lot of sports, so every August it was shaved. I was way ahead of my time because we had to shave our hair for two days. But I did have a little longer hair, and in fact... I am being very kind. I was about to go out into the congregation's archives and show pictures of some of you from high school with your longer hair. And I told Bill Berry I could have just completely embarrassed him, but I did not. Um, so I protected all of you, and, and we're not putting pictures of long uh, surfer hair up. But you couldn't cut your hair. And then lastly, there was a duty, the, the fifth D, and there was always an act of service tied into this Nazarite vow, and his duty was to save Israel. Here's the big point of all that. Samson was chosen by God. And quite frankly, friends, we forget that you and I, we're chosen by God. Psalms 139 says, you were fearfully and wonderfully made, right? And so God's got his hand on your life. Some of you are going, well, he's got an interesting way of putting his hand on my life. I know that some of you, this is new for you. You're coming to church again. This is, in fact, you're here because you made a news resolution. I'm going to go to church again, right? And we hope it lasts more than a week or two or three. I'm hoping that you come and stay. For others of you, you're praying about someone who needs to come back to the Lord. But I got to tell you, the bottom line is God knows you. 
God knows you. He knew the desires of Manoah's wife, Mrs. Manoah, and Manoah to have a child, and he put his hand upon them. Now, here's an interesting phrase. At the end of that verse 5, does it say that he delivered Israel from the Philistines? What does it say? There's a key word. It says he began to deliver. Why didn't he just finish the job? 20 years of that, you know, he could have done it. Why didn't he do it in, 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 um, in Samson's reign? See, it goes the first 20, and then it takes 20 more years, and under the reign of David, the Philistines are finally thrown off. I think that he took his judgeship somewhat likely. If you, and when you read the next three chapters, you're going to go, huh, it doesn't seem like he takes this too seriously. But you know what I think? I think he looks around at all of Israel, and no one else is desperate for God. So why is he going to be the only one who's going to be desperate to serve God? And maybe his own countrymen were a discouragement to him from finishing the job. So he just kind of toys with it, plays at it. Let's not be those folks. Let's be desperate for our, for our God. Let us, as people from in 2019, that we wouldn't just be complicit with culture and complacent, but that we would want to finish the job, whatever God calls us to do. Well, there's this conversation. Verses 6 and 7, she's going to have a conversation, Mrs. Manoah with Mr. Manoah. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like, a, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's the same thing again, second same song, second verse, and this guy was awesome, and I didn't ask him where he was from. I, he didn't even tell me his name, but he said I shouldn't you know, drink and eat unclean stuff, and he's going to be a Nazarite, blah, 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 blah. And uh, she repeats it again to her husband. Now, lovingly, I want to say, wives, um, she, you know, and that's pretty brief, but that's kind of what happens in male-female communication, is it not like? Hey, I just asked a simple question to my wife, Cheryl. Henny, how was your day? I'm looking for like it was a nine on a 10-point scale. She goes into a much lengthier description of what her day was like, and she's smiling at me, and I love you, dear. Um, and she, I mean, she gives me all the details, and then I went, and I talked to my mother. Well, I know you talk to your mother every day, and, and she's a good mom. She's a good daughter, and, and they go on. And you can see this, like, Manoah's, like, cut to the chase, right? So she describes this guy, and the thing that's salient in verses 6 and 7 is they describe this uh, man of God, or literally should be a messenger or angel of Yahweh, and that phrase is used 23 times in the book of Judges, 13 of which are used in relationship to this discussion about Samson. So now, we see a repetition, a second visit by this man of God in verses 8 to 14, and we see Manoah's request. So even though she tells him all this, what does Manoah want out of the deal? Look at this. This is such a male thing right here. Verse 8, then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent, and it doesn't say it in the Hebrew, to my wife, come to us, meaning to me, and teach me what we are to do with this child who was born. Now, here's the problem. He wants to hear it with his own ears. I think he doesn't quite trust he only partially believes his wife, and he wants more details. And I think, if the truth be known, he's slightly jealous. Like, angel came to her and not me? Like, why didn't he come to me? And so 
He knows this isn't going to be some ordinary child, so he has this request. Well, God responds to his prayer, verses 9 through 14. The third time, he rep- this all gets repeated again. And so God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the man. Is that what happened? No. What's the same verse saying? V- ver- and the God came to the woman as she sat filled. And you can see Mrs. Manoah is like uh, in a tizzy because, oh, no, not again. Hey, no, didn't you get it? My husband prayed that you would come to him. You've come to me a second time. Now I've got to go get him. Hold that thought. She runs over. She gets Manoah. Come here. He's back. Oh, sure. I know he really is. Come on over. She drags him over. And Manoah rose, went after his wife and says to him in verse 11, and Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And in perfect suave response, he says, I am. Now, why is that word I am important? Go back to Exodus 3 and 4 when we talk about why he doesn't give his name. And we'll find out why, who this guy really is. So Manoah asks his questions. And then verse 14, for the third time, we hear the prenatal advice for Mrs. Manoah. So you get the impression that, you know, this is, uh, this is a little repetitive here. And in fact, uh, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. He said, I've told your wife all this before. What, what, what part of this Manoah do you not get, right? And so uh, he follows his wife. They f- he repeats the mission. And now there's a realization that's going to dawn on these two. Who is this guy? Verses 15 to 23, who is this guy? Well, there's a sacrifice to the Lord. They realize he's somebody special. They haven't quite put it all together. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. In other words, let us have a barbecue. Let's have a feast. Let me feed you. You've come a long way. And the angel says, hey, don't detain me. I'm not going to eat your dinner. But if you want to do something, do a burnt offering and offer it to the Lord, to Jehovah, Yahweh God. For Manoah didn't know that he was the angel of the Lord. So sharing the ancient meal, uh, a meal in the ancient world was not some weird thing. That was just a Eastern hospitality. But the angel is not interested in a barbecue. He wants a burnt, par- uh, burnt offering. He's not interested in a party. He wants praise being redirected to the Lord. And it's very interesting. He knew, this, this messenger knows his role. Now, as you look at that again, Manoah should have a clue that he's dealing with something very special, and he's about to find out what the secret is in verses 17 and 18. Verse 17, Manoah said to the angel, Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel, Lord, said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it's wonderful, like, huh, I'm all that, huh? Well, the secret is actually that this is probably, most commentators believe, that this is what we call a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In fact, we call this a Christophany. Difference with a theophany is that it's God in general, but if it's Christ-specific, it's a Christophany. And most believe that this is Jesus himself talking to this elderly couple. And his refusal to give his name, he gives little hints, the little I am thing, and then he says his name's wonderful. Where have we seen a description of Jesus as wonderful in what other scriptures? We just did it a a month ago. In Isaiah chapter 9, 6, right? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
almighty God, Father, what? Prince of Peace. You know, yeah, you know the whole deal, right? So he's described as wonderful. By the way, uh, when Jacob wrestled with his angel in Genesis 32, he didn't get his name either. And so the thing that's most salient here is uh, he says, when your words come true. See that in verse 17, when your words come true? That's what's important. Manoah believes. He's not doubting his wife. He's not second guessing. He's like, he's all in. He goes, okay, I believe. So there's a sign that the Lord gives him that this is all going to come true, verses 19 to 21. So what does Manoah do? He doesn't throw him the barbecue. He has the burnt offering, offers this offering to the Lord. And while they're watching, verse 20, when the flame went up into heaven, the angel of the Lord went with the flame and disappeared. Now, I've seen Copperfield make the Statue of Liberty disappear. That's pretty impressive. But if you're them, and this is the angel of the Lord, and you know this is kind of holy ground, and all of a sudden this messenger disappears, that's got to freak you out, right? Look at what happens. And they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife than Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. That was a holy moment, friends. We'll talk about fear in a moment, but that moment was a holy moment. So the visitor literally goes up in flames, and they fall to the ground in worship. When was the last time you and I had a holy moment? where your connection with God was so clear, so real to you, that your response was, I need to just be quiet and see a holy God for who he is. You know what the number one threat to us in our life as Christ followers in experiencing a holy moment is we are so dang busy we can't stop long enough to know whether God saw us or didn't see us because we're just blitzing through life. You know one of the things I want in 2019 I want to slow down long enough just once this year. I'm going to settle for just at least once this year. God, would you be so real to me that I'd have a holy moment? I don't need it for the experience. I know who Jesus is. He's my Savior and my God. He's the King of Kings. But I need to slow down long enough to just hear His voice. Scripture says, my sheep hear my voice. And I need all the other voices drowned out in my life so I hear his voice. My wife and I are both really early risers. She more than me. Early by define like she's up at 4.30 nearly every morning. Me, I'm up by 5.45 to 6 every morning. So she has a good hour, hour and a half on me. But I can tell you that she meets God every day. She goes up to our living room She turns up the heat, she bundles up, and she watches the sunrise, she has her prayer time, and she has her quiet time, and she's alone 
in solitude. She's a great example to me in that. But as I look at out all of us, all of us collectively as a, as a family here at ABF, let's pray that God would give you that holy moment. You know, one of the cool things in every, every service, I pick a different couple because I just see who's out there and I'm going to tell a story. Well, I see a couple right here in the third row. You know what these guys do? They're the directors of the Salvation Army Camp in Malibu. You know one of the things I love about what Marty allows me to do is I get to go up there and at their campground and I get a holy moment, whether it's our men's retreat. When we were out of our house this summer, I spent seven nights there, thank you, as I was homeless. And uh, that's a special place for me. There's some benches in Rosarito, Mexico, when I take kids down to Mexico and families and in Ensenada and different places where I've had that holy moment. I can't stress enough, find that place, find that alone time with God and worship Him. Well, I see the, the seeing of the Lord, this is verses 22 to 23, and Manoah said to his wife, we're surely going to die for we've seen God. And then I love it, I love it. The man is overreacting and the woman is the rock star. She is solid, ladies. You should cheer for Mrs. Manoah. She says, the wife says, hey, 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 time out. Listen, use your best Jewish accent, right? If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted our... Three things here, Manoah, three-point outline. He wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering. Uh, he wouldn't have shown us all these things. And he wouldn't have announced all these things to us. Relax, it's all going to be just fine. I love it. Ladies, a strong biblical woman who's like, hey, guy, settle down. Don't get so overreactive. By the way, I'm Manoah. I'm the one like, ah! My wife's going, settle down. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. But this idea that they were going to die wasn't like a fig newton of their imagination, right? It, it, it was, this was something that they had taught and had widely held that if a man saw God, he would die. Check this out. Exodus thirty-three twenty, 20, uh, Judges 6, 22 and 23. Just read those verses later. Exodus thirty-three twenty, Judges 6, 22. Many, many, many Old Testament saints feared death because they saw God. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 1, 28, Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 5, the 12 disciples, Mark 4, Peter, Luke 5, John, Revelation 1, 17, and if I went too fast, all of them were my notes, you can get them online, all right? But she's the logical one. They're terrified, and she says, relax, it's going to be okay. All that's the lead up, and the guy hasn't even been born, and we finish with this today, verses 24 and 25, the result. Samson's birth. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in him in Mahadan between Zorah and Eshetal. So this is the last of the judges. For 20 years, he'll fight the Philistines, and in the final 20 years under them, they will take care of business. But here's something that's tragic. You're going to find out that Samson's a loner. He never really rallies the troop. In fact, he just kind of does his own thing. And even though he was born with the silver spoon, even though he was the most likely to succeed, our lesson today, it's not how you begin, it's how you finish that makes a difference. 
And I want to suggest to you that this morning, I want to share very personal with you three New Year's resolutions that I have, because it's not how I begin 2019, it's how I finish 2019. Chad's going to come, and I'm going to have him play, and I want you to just begin to reflect on your own life and some of the goals that you're setting. So here's some application. In my family, I want to be an example to follow, not a warning to avoid. I want to be an example to follow, not a warning to avoid. You see, I want Jesus to characterize what my life is all about. I want to be an example to follow. By the way, 1 Corinthians 9.27 describes that, right? But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I don't want to be a warning. I want to be an example. Number two, in my ministry, in the biography of my pastoral life, I don't want any tragic endings. I don't want any footnotes that said, Pastor John Irwin served God faithfully for 40 years and then had an affair. The Pastor John said he loved God, but he lived a life that was dubious and duplicious. That I had a secret thing going on behind the scenes. I don't want to be that guy. With all my heart, I don't want to have a David experience in my life. How could a man after God's own heart do that? You know why he could do it? Because he was a man, governed like every man in this room, that if you do not harness the sensual passions in your life, you will fall prey to the trap that it couldn't happen to me, that it won't happen to me. And you let your guard down. Check this verse out. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So I don't want a moral failure in my life. And by God's grace, I won't. But it is not because that I think that I'm above that happening. You understand what I'm saying? Because it can happen. And I'm well aware of it. One of the saddest things about pastoral ministry, I'm doing this a long time, 40 years, is my friends and some of my heroes didn't finish. They fumbled the ball morally on the one yard line. I don't want to be that guy. By the way, if you're new to the church, I'm trying not to scare you off because I'm just the associate. You know, the real guy's back in a couple weeks, right? <laughs> he's bald, he's cool, and he doesn't cry like me, you know? I mean, you're in, you're in good, right? It's okay. It's, it's going to be okay, all right? And number three, in my personal life, I've said it all along, I want to finish well. I just don't, I just, not just start well. I had a lot of advantages in life. My parents loved the Lord. They sent me to a little Christian school. Came to Christ at six years old. Rededicated my life as, as an eighth grader. Went to a Christian college called Biola University and have had all the privileges of getting to be in ministry. And can't believe I pinch myself that for 40 years I've gotten to do this. I'm in my 41st year of 
doing ministry. 40 years of being married to the same woman. 46 years dating the same girl. Woohoo! And I want to succeed by God's grace and I want to finish well. How about you? For 2019, it's a simple, I know they're not measurable, but those are aspirations that I want to have this year. And so I normally have you bow your heads and ponder some things, but I actually want to look at a couple of groups of people today. I want to, where are all the young moms in this group here? You're, you're under 40 and you have kids under the age of 12. Raise your hands. See all these women out there? We need to support them because I said this, you know, really grandiose idea, like you got to have a holy moment. And I know many of them are going, yeah, that's good for you, John. I got four kids under the age of six and there's no holy moment. There's holy terror most of my life. And I just want a nap or a bath, one of the two, right? So you know how we need to provide some holy moment time for these ladies. Dads, take the kids. Take him for as long as she wants. Now, in Marty's case, he's got five. He's got twins. He's, he, you know, get a helper, you know. <laughs> Man, between these two families, I mean, they're in trouble. Yeah, nine kids between them or whatever. <laughs> Ladies, you got the hardest job in the world. You're sleep deprived. You're trying to live for Jesus. But you need to find a holy moment time. Men, look at me. No Davids this year. No falling off the cliffs. No moral failures. No fumbling the ball on the one yard line. You know why? Because we need to be a band of brothers. We need to connect with one another. We need to say it out loud to each other. And we need to be clear about what our intentions are. You know, God answers prayers in unique ways. And I'll close with this. You know, if I'm going to finish well, I need Jesus to be evident in how I make decisions and how I carry about my business. And some of you know ad nauseum, and I promise it may be the next to last illustration I'll use from the infamous house remodel of 2018. Some of you have been around now like, oh my goodness, what new travail have they experienced? But let's just say that because we spent so much on a bunch of different things, the savings account kind of got a little smaller. And Cheryl and I had the really real conversation that maybe you're going to have to get a, a paying job uh, that, that brings some income in because we've depleted our finances significantly. And we prayed about it, and she's looking at Kaiser and looking at jobs and this and that. And then out of the clear blue, we're having breakfast after Christmas with some friend, dear friends from Northern California who have friends down here in Southern California, and they say, why don't you go to breakfast with us? And we say, Rob and Kristen, they're your friends. Well, they're not, you know, but just come with us. So I thought, okay, we'll go to breakfast. We're over at Jenkins uh, three weeks ago, and these friends of theirs are saying, yeah, with our family growing, we really need to find a place for Haley. She, she needs to move out. That's their cousin. She needs to live somewhere else. I wish there was a room that she could rent for some family. My wife kicks me underneath the table, and I'm looking at her, and she goes, well, you know, we have a room to rent. I go, yeah, 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 we have a room to rent. We have a room to rent. And she, and she just went with it, and to make a long story short, on Monday, Haley moved in with us. She's 25. She doesn't know Jesus. I'm pretty sure that's a Buddha statue she put up in a room. 
And we're going to have a chance to be Jesus to Haley. And God answered our prayer in a way that we never expected. You got to go get a job. Cheryl goes, I got a job. I'm a landlady now, right? I'm a landlady. And so today, whether it's a holy moment, where it's drawing the line and no moral failure, or God answering a prayer in a way you didn't expect, God is the God of change today. Amen? And He is a God of hope. And we have to wait on Him. Because sometimes we want to get ahead of Him, don't we? I hope you've had a wonderful time. It's a great way to kick off 2019. Hey, if you see someone around here that you don't really know, I know we greet people, but take your time to say hello to someone that maybe you don't know and introduce yourself. We're going to have a wonderful 2019. God bless you. Have a great week.